Would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Kings chapter 1. I'm not sure, not that it matters, but... Check, check. I'm a checking and a testing. All right, that's it. Thank you. Second Kings chapter one. Ahaziah. We've moved on from Ahab to his son. And Elijah now comes back on the scene. Here, these things work so much better when you turn them on. There we go. Ahaziah's reign comes under the scrutiny and judgment of the prophet Elijah. Moab, of course, uh, what the uh, grandson of Lot on the border bordering Israel at the promised land where the Jordan River comes into the Dead Sea and they were always throughout the Old Testament for the most part anyway they were always an enemy of Israel Moab rebelled against Israel after Ahab's death. Now, hey, we just saw early history about Israel and Moab when uh, Balaam was trying to seek a way to curse them under the edict of Balach, and we're still in that part. But uh, this, of course, is hundreds of years later. This is... um, a time when Moab, after a period of time, put it this way, from the time that Israel occupied the promised land in Canaan, went with Joshua, and all the way through, they were not on friendly terms with Moab, and they were finally, they finally came under subjection, that is Moab, to Israel when Ehud, one of the judges, was raised up by God to lead Israel against Moab, and Moab was defeated. And so for all those many years since the times of the judges, and we've already gone through several kings, so we know it's quite some time has passed, For all that time, Moab was in subjection, and Israel never heard a thing out of them until the time of Ahab and his son. Moab rebelled against Israel after Ahab's death. Here is why Israel lost 
um, standing with Moab, namely weak leadership. It's interesting to me how, what an emphasis, especially in the Old Testament, what an emphasis is placed on the leaders of people, kings in this case, those who uh, assert rulership and authority over people. God uses that to work out his purpose, but there are truths that are portrayed in the historical uh, settings and the data that's given to us that those truths work, work them, that those truths work themselves out all the way through uh, human history. We saw, for example, how Jehoshaphat was a strong leader. He was a spiritual man. He honored Yahweh, worshiped him, and had a positive impact on the people and a positive impact uh, regarding his nation among nations. And they became strong, the nation, the people, they became strong. And so they prospered because Jehoshaphat was a godly man. He had, he had common sense. He had biblical sense. And as such then, if you recall, using him continuing as an example, he had uh, fortified cities built and the, uh, he had uh, treasure cities and then he had those uh, sentinel cities where uh, the people, uh, where the, the, the armies, portion, parts of the army were scattered here and there and there was there was a great deal of security. Now, as a, he, he, is, he is a most recent example then of strong leadership. What a strong, righteous leader can do. As a matter of fact, the book of Proverbs says something like this. The people are blessed with a righteous king, but the people are cursed with an unrighteous king. So in the case of Ahab, he forsook the God of his fathers. He totally uh, accepted the religion of his wife, Jezebel, the, the worship of Baal. And this just brought the country, the nation, to ruin. What they emphasized in that religion was not the kind of life, social life, society that the law of God emphasized. It's not the way that the people of God were to live. Strong family units, they would build a strong nation. Uh, they had... They had ordinances regarding worship. They didn't have, you know, like weekly services like we do. They did have a Sabbath where they rested, but they had feast days and they had national sacrifices and all these kinds of things. So there was a pattern of worship and how the people were to be humbled 
always to walk humbly before Yahweh, for their God. Now, when that happened, and when the king was a godly, righteous king, he cared about his people. He didn't care about his what he thought would be acceptable in the culture, other cultures of the world, or, or he didn't think about uh, riches for himself. He took care of his people, and he wanted them to prosper, and they became a strong nation when that happened. But in the case of Ahab, you, know, you remember Jehoshaphat was scolded by the prophet for, for buddying up to Ahab. You don't need this. You don't need this kind of friend. God has blessed you. You're far above him. He's trying to get something from you. So as long as Ahab was a buddy with Jehoshaphat, Moab, for example, was reluctant to rebel. Not because of who Ahab was, but because of the power of the so-called friend that he had made from the southern kingdom. But now Ahab is dead. His son comes to the throne, Ahaziah. He comes to the throne, and it's a rather unremarkable reign. He didn't stay there very long. But he ate at the table with his mama and daddy. He worshipped in the same way they worshipped. He traveled in the same circles in which they traveled. And, and so that's how he grew up. He grew up as a, a young man who did not worship uh, Yahweh. He was not the kind of king that brings strength, prosperity, and peace to the people. Now these things are seen in the Old Testament. And those things, those things work, work themselves out in modern, in, in modern nations. If, if a nation's leader is strong and he cares for his people and he cares for his nation and he puts his nation first, that nation seems to prosper and be strong and will have the respect of other nations. But when there's, when there's weak leadership and those things are not attended to, then those nations in their weak state lose respect and lose their standing in the world. And this is what's happening here uh, in the time when Moab rebelled against Israel. This is the first time since the time of the judges that Moab has given any problem to Israel. But now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria. He became ill. He had a bad fall. And he sent messengers and said to them, go inquire of Beelzebub. You ever heard Beelzebub before? Beelzebub? This is yes, this is no. Beelzebub, Beelzebub, right? That's what they accused Christ about. It means, now Baal means Lord. Zebub means flies. The Lord of flies. The Lord of filth. Now there, there are books written on how scholars think that is to be applied. But I, I you know, <laughs> let's go. Let's call Baal to come go with us. He'll keep the flies off the rest of us. I don't know. I don't know what, how good that is of a title the Lord of flies, but it doesn't seem to be too good to me. Well, here's a king, though. Instead of, he's sick. He doesn't feel good. 
He's broke up. He fell through a lattice. It was a bad fall. And it has affected his body. And so what is it? does he ask for a prophet of God? Does he inquire of Yahweh? No. He inquires of Baal. Baalzebub, the God of Ekron, whether I will recover from this illness. <laughs> but an angel of Yahweh spoke to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Arise and go up toward the king of Samaria's messengers and speak to them saying, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you go to inquire of Baalzebub, the God of Ekron? Yonder is God carefully scrutinizing the ways of the world. The earliest, it is said, it is said and believed that the earliest, the first of the written books that are in our scripture was Job. That Job was written before any other book was written that's a part of our canon of scripture. That's interesting because that book is about nothing but human suffering. And how, how God's people deal with it and how Yahweh deals with it through his people. And there's a reference to the Savior. I know my, rede my Redeemer lives and I'll see him at the last day. Well, so... Job finds himself in the worst kind of illness that it was next to death, but Satan was not permitted to kill Job. And Job, even in his weakened state, and he didn't always say it right, but he always kept his eyes on Yahweh. That's where his faith was. Now here's a guy who fell through his roof and he's, he's, his body is broken up and it's creating problems and he inquires of Baal as to whether or not he will recover. Now, here, what I'm saying is God is watching human leadership. We're taught in the Bible that there is not an authority who exists on any level at all but what he was put there by God. So God has a purpose in all of this and I'll tell you the stronger and higher the level of leadership the more humble that person ought to be. I don't know if, but I, if I was president, I don't think I would ever get off my face. I would just have to tell everybody to come back later. I'm praying to God and I haven't gotten low enough yet. Of course, that's not the way it is these days and it's not the way it is in, in, in the Bible. There, was, there are always those leaders who are filled with pride. They were narcissists. They were... They were uh, self-indulgent and they wanted to do what was cool 
and what felt good. And in this case, it was the worship of Baal. So then he calls, he sends messengers to inquire of Baalzebub. Elijah, though, gets a word from God. Are you sending messengers to Beelzebub because there's no God in Israel? And he stopped him. You see, he, he, here's, here's what happens. Therefore, so has Yahweh said, from the bed upon which you have ascended, you will not descend, for you shall die. Elijah went. See, that's, that's Elijah. That's what I'm talking about. Let me go tell this guy this, you know. And the messengers returned to him and he said, why have you returned? They said to him, a man came up toward us and said to us, go return to the king who sent you and you shall speak to him saying, so has Yahweh said, is it because there is no God in Israel that you send to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, from the bed upon which you have ascended, you will not descend for you will die. And he spoke to them saying, what does God look like? What was the manner of the man who came up toward you and spoke these words to you? And they said, he was a hairy man. He had a leather belt girded around his waist. So it may or may not have been a reference to body hair. I don't know, but it certainly was a reference to whatever kind of fur he was wearing for clothing. And the king said, he is Elijah, the Tishbite. You remember back when his father, when Ahab was king, he said to Obadiah, go and tell him, behold, Elijah is here. Have you found me, you enemy of Israel? Oh, my enemy, have you found me? To which Elijah, you may recall, responded, I'm not the enemy of the people. You are for the horrible way you're leading the people. So he interrupts these messengers. He knows right where they are, right where they've come from, and right where they're headed. This is a prophet. Go back and tell him he's going to die. He won't get up from that bed. He's in the bed until he dies. Go tell him that. He's a hairy guy, he's leather belt. So you see, Ahaziah, does this mean that Ahaziah saw, I don't, I don't know if, was, was he riding with Ahab when he met Elijah out in the field? I don't, I don't know, it doesn't say. But we do know that he, as a little boy, would have sat down to the dinner table with his mama, Jezebel, and with his daddy, Ahab, and he would have heard them talking about this prophet, how he looked. I'm sure his look and mannerism disgusted Jezebel and Ahab as well. He would have known, he would have known in his heart, this is the prophet of God, Elijah the Tishbite. And he sent to him a, captive, a captain of 50 men and his 50 men. So he's going he's to confront him with his armed forces. 
50 guys ought to be enough. Tell the captain to take his 50 men. And he went up to him, and behold, he was sitting on a mountaintop. And the captain spoke to him and said, O man of God, the king has spoken. Come down. (laughs) Bad idea. Elijah replied and spoke to the captain of 50. Now, if I'm a man of God, let a fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And a fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. You got to love that. (laughs) If I'm a man, the guy was making fun of him, you know, old man of God. So, okay, if I'm a man of God, then here's what the man of God's going to do. And just, just before the lightning bolt or whatever hit him, you know the captain wishes he hadn't have said nothing. But he did. Isaiah, he sent, hey, what do you think they were going to do with Elijah? They were going to kill him, right? He wasn't going to fool, fool around. He wasn't going to be weak like his daddy was. And again, he sent to him another captain of 50 and his 50 men. And he raised and spoke to him saying, O man of God. Now look at this. Let me go back. This one said, O man of God, come down. This one says, O man of God, so said the king, come down quickly. (laughs) Elijah raised his voice and spoke to them saying, If I'm a man of God, let let a fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And an enormous fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. Now, if this is is an all-volunteer army, they're going to begin to start wanting to go back home. (laughs) Don't put me in that detail. So here we go. And again, he sent a third captain of 50 and his 50 men. The third captain of 50 climbed up and (laughs) came and kneeled on his knees opposite Elijah and begged him. And spoke to him and said, O man of God, may my soul and the soul of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your eyes. Behold, a fire has come down from heaven and consumed the first two captains of 50 and their 50s. Now may my soul be precious in your eyes. So, okay, how many lightning bolts does it take to get the king's attention, or at least one of the captains. So he was going to be respectful and he was going to acknowledge who really was in charge there and that he had no power against Elijah nor Elijah's God. The angel of Yahweh spoke to Elijah saying, go down with him. Don't be afraid of him. And he arose and went down with him to the king. And he spoke to him saying, so has Yahweh said. Since you sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, is it because there's no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, from the bed upon which you have risen, you will not get down for you shall die. See, how do you tell him in person? These other guys got fried. So, you know, he says, well, if, you know, if you want to curse a king, you got to do it yourself. 
So he did it himself. You're going to die in this bed. You're all broke up and all crippled up and you're not going to get any better. You're going to get worse and you're going to die. So here is, um, here is the rain judged by Elijah. He says he died according to the word of Yahweh that Elijah had spoken. He died according to the word of God. That never changes. Not in any nation, not in any time. It is always according to the word of God. I don't know why leaders in this world can't get that. Such delusion and self-grandeur, I don't know. And Jehoram reigned in his stead in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, for he had no son. So this was Ahaziah's brother, the, the, the one of the, of the northern kingdom. This was one of the other sons of Ahab. And the remaining deeds of Ahaziah that he did are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. It didn't take much to write. You know, a little while, well, He fell through the roof. Next day, Chronicles of the King. He's hurt real bad. Next day, Chronicles of the King. He's really hurting. Next day, Chronicles of the King. He wants people to go to inquire of Baal. This goes on. He sent 50 men and they all died. He sent another 50 men and they all died. He sent another 50 men and Elijah came back with him and told him he's going to die. You know, it was just a few pages of his chronicle. That was it. Wasn't much to it at all. The shame. It was, I have to think about this now. It was, I think it was when Bill Clinton was president. I think I'm right. This was back in the 90s or something. A, a book came out, and I read this book. It wasn't, it wasn't my book. I, somebody wanted me to read it, and I read it. And it was a, uh, I wish I could think of the name of the book and the author. I can't. Um, but it was a, a summary of the administrations of the presidents of the United States. The person who had written the book, of course, made the approach from the spiritual side and would, would, would uh, defer to scripture and talk about scriptures all the way back to George Washington through maybe Reagan, I don't know, where they would go wrong and what would happen to the people and how it affected even the world and what they did right, according to the word of God, he would, he would have parallel scriptures. And how it was a positive effect. And of course, the root of the whole thing was, well, not the whole thing, but later on in the history, how uh, things really got better when the United States became the friend of Israel. Uh, and it was all from a biblical perspective. But it was very interesting, uh, mainly because he, 
had so many had so much scripture in it. Every one of these presidents and pointed out and none of them were perfect. They all did bad things and at points opposed the word of God and some of them did good things and and uh, were 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 in deference to the word of God. And it was amazing how historically this guy did a good job pointing out the positive effects in a time of righteousness, if you want to put it that way, and the negative effects in the time of unrighteousness. You could say the same thing about these kings that we're studying here uh, in both the northern and southern kingdoms. So to make such a study of administrations in the Bible and leadership and the flaws and the importance and power of the Word of God, the purpose of God, the will of God, tremendous, tremendous Bible study in and of itself. Well, we're going to stop there and uh, we'll have our deacon prayer time.